Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. So the first film, uh, Phantom, was about how... I need you to put that face away or I'll never get okay, through the bit. Okay, go for it. Okay? I already know I, where it's going. Go shut ahead. the fuck up, go okay? Ahead. Thank you. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. You've ruined it. Hold on. So, <laughs> you've ruined it. <laughs> no, I'm ready. I'm going to take the younglings too. <laughs> okay, wait. So the first film, Phantom, was about a... <laughs> <laughs> I was making no face. You, you put a bag bitch. over your face or something. You little bitch. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the hat. <clears throat> the first film, Phantom, was about a young novice who comes to an ancient order, an order of singers. An order of singers who ripped off Roger Waters. And the second film, this one is um, Love Never Dies, right? That's what <laughs> we're covering today. Love Never Dies and Love Never Falters. That's that's the Phantom and sequel we're covering, right? Oh, I was hoping that you were going to do like a clones cats thing. All of this work! <laughs> well, I guess this isn't musical chat, so that makes this Star Wars on HTML. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And our poor guests must feel like exhausted of us they must be exhausted of us <laughs> guys welcome back to the show it's dylan and jonah both from x's for podcast and our lives hi and our hearts hello so after a whole opening sequence about someone's trying to kill padme she, they almost kill padme then they get killed and we see who we clearly know is boba fett flying away but the characters don't know it's boba fett yet and then surprise it turns out it's not boba fett but that's not the point so after all this senator palpy is ultimately like, oh, I want you to go home because I'm so worried about you. And so Anakin and Padme decide to travel to Naboo as refugees, which like refugees are frequently traveling to and from Coruscant and Naboo, that that's just a normal thing that they should feel comfortable pretending to do. Okay. Using pre-approved trade routes. I do think that we see Padme in a more active role in this film is intentional. I feel like Natalie Portman is put in a more action-driven role as opposed to a narrative-driven role because I think a lot of people did see her operating exclusively as a political operative. Well, that was meant to be empowering. Oh, look, she's a strong woman. She's a queen. It did kind of reduce her efficacy. She became sort of a cerebral figure standing in the background in a movie about super cool dudes with lightsabers. I think it was a pretty great move to also have her have such a strong lead in this movie because like we mentioned in the episode before this, we talked about how there wasn't very many female characters in the Star Wars episode four, five, and six. And they, in episode one of Phantom Menace, we gave this really strong queen who does things against everybody else's orders that in this movie she needed to be super driven and not needing to be protected by a man. And then also when these movies came out, there seemed to be not too many, I want to say too many action movies that had female leads. So I think it was just 
I concur. A lot of things happening at the same time, and it's probably one of the few good things that I can say about this movie. I think we'd seen a rise of stronger female characters on television with characters like Xena, like Buffy, but we hadn't really seen as many women in power in cinema yet. And I don't know that George Lucas pushed the envelope as far as he perhaps could have beyond where he had already set the bar with Princess Leia, but he definitely at least lived up to Leia's legacy with the character of Padme. And, you know, she's not a soldier the way that her daughter is going to have to be when it comes to the rebellion. So she's not quite as experienced when it comes to the battle side of things. And yet we saw her at age 14 and now at age 24 immediately dig in and throw down with everyone else when push came to shove and refuse to not help people but nobody quite had the driven action storyline in this film that obi-wan did all of the cloning center sequence material oh my god that's like inexplicably like some of my favorite stuff in the entire star wars universe and it's in this drag sort of of a movie so i just i don't know and i even think like the cloners look a bit like snoke in the later films and there's something about all of the and it's just so like the best kind of creepy in this really sterile latex kind of way i really appreciated everything about that sequence i would agree with you nico that parts with obi visiting the cloning center in that hidden world is probably one of the best parts of this movie as well. With all the talk lately with a possible Obi-Wan movie or TV show for Disney+, Plus, a lot of things that I think about loving Obi-Wan from episodes 1, 2, and 3 is this entire scene. It's as if Obi-Wan was better in scenes by himself without anybody else that of relevance in it with him. Well, I even want to take it back a little bit further before Camino and talk about the scenes leading up to it, where again, Obi-Wan is basically investigating by himself and living a separate movie from Anakin for most of this in a way that I don't think I realized until I started saying this out loud. That's interesting. But the scene where he goes to Yoda and needs to be told by children that if a planet isn't in the records even though like science of the map is telling him a planet should be there someone must have deleted it you know when i was younger that scene seemed kind of silly but i have a different perspective from this last watch that we did where i thought about it as you know the jedi order is so complacent that they wouldn't even consider that someone from within their order could have done that at the very beginning of the movie when Pat may is saying you know shit about count dooku and being like i think he's the one who tried to kill me and mace windu is like no he used to be a jedi he would never do that except yeah it does turn out to be that it was count dooku who did that and I think I never realized how much the scene of a child being the one to give him the answer points to that complacency of the Jedi Order. I don't love the diner scene that comes next. Oh my god, I was just gonna say that. I hate the diner yeah. scene. It's so cheesy. We don't need to have like a 50s Earth diner on whatever planet this is, because I can't remember which one they're on right now. But no, Coruscant. it's so cheesy. 
And I want to address the fact that you don't know what planet they're on right now. Something that I've seen a lot of criticism of Rise of Skywalker, and I'll talk about that more eventually, is the fact that Coruscant didn't appear in the sequel movies. And Coruscant mostly only appears in these three movies. It's not in the original ones. In fact, at that time that those movies were made, it wasn't even a named planet. Coruscant is something that George Lucas took over from the expanded universe to put into these three movies. So I don't fault you for however many times you've seen Star Wars, perhaps not knowing the name of this planet because most of its appearances are contained to this trilogy and so especially the fact then that they chose to show this weird 1950s diner the fact that almost all of the scene looks to be like it was shot entirely on green screens so that kind of takes me out of it in a lot of ways but you know i get it george lucas you wrote and directed american graffiti but like not everything needs to be obsessed with the 1950s this was just really odd and And the character, I can't get a vibe on whether he's evil. He really seems like evil when he's talking about the Kaminoans and saying that, you know, the thing about your pocketbook. (laughs) I'm like, oh, it gives me a really, really bad vibe. That's exactly how I felt during that scene. And that this Dex had a dubious morality that I didn't quite understand. And then we never see him again, as far as I know. It was a large enough scene to dedicate to a character that's not that important that was just weird i i can't really describe anything else besides that scene as weird yeah it just like creeps me out in a weird way i think i even blocked it out as a child because when i was watching this rewatch and the scene started i was like what it this is dumb. What? I don't even remember this ever happening, ever. Is there really a diner in a Star Wars movie that looks like it's from the 40s or 50s? And what makes me especially sad about this scene is I feel like they're burying the coolest part of the information that Obi-Wan gets, which is that Kamino is just outside of the continuous galaxy of Star Wars. Kamino is, like, outside of the galaxy between here and when he mentions the Rishi Maze, that's, uh, neighboring satellite galaxy to the star wars one and like i feel like that's really cool and adds a heightened layer to how creepy camino is that it's like out 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 in the middle of nowhere like that's just I, I don't know and and to get back to them like there is something so ethereal unbothered and creepy about these characters I know that they're going to be featured in the Clone Wars TV show so I'm excited to see what they will look like there but they do so much with those characters in such little time in this movie and I think they had to they really didn't have a lot of choice because they worked so hard to divorce themselves of the first film with the exception of my my precious youngling scene they really needed to work quickly to establish a wealth of characters in a short period of time because for all intents and purposes they were also re-establishing Annie top to bottom and speaking of characters that were re-established top to bottom let's talk about the clones themselves and their source material and the I hesitate to say retcon of Boba Fett because again the expanded universe is not something that George Lucas necessarily takes into consideration and this is the backstory he decided to give to that character boba fett is a clone of the man who was the genetic source material of the clone army wild stuff Django fett is stupid fucking hot and i think it's (laughs) 
like really cool that the entire clone army is like not white like that's a ton of characters who over the course of clone wars and rebels and i'm sure continuing onward in new star wars stories who are based on this original character that people have grown to love and root for and want to see more of you know i think there is also something really powerful to be said about the use of people of color as army fodder i don't necessarily think that that's incongruous with reality and i applaud the attempt to say something with that even if you know old white men don't always convey those stories the best i am happy that we got to have this slight explanation of the stormtroopers because with episodes four five and six it just seemed like there was more after more after more like when so many would die and it's just like where are you possibly getting all of these people that want to volunteer to be a part of this army and then it just makes sense that they are just all clones because it does seem like the galaxy has more stormtroopers to dispose of than people left to terrorize well, we'll be covering that as we get closer to the story chronologically, but by the time of episodes 4, 5, and 6, they had mostly phased out clone troopers for various reasons. But, you know, you say, why would so many people volunteer? A lot of stormtroopers weren't voluntary. The thing about the Empire is that they grew slowly in power and used propaganda to trick people into thinking joining the Empire was the right thing to do, and sometimes would just outright force you to join and i really love the answers that they have been trying to give to questions like that you know the original trilogy where did all these stormtroopers come from and what is the fallout of using these clone troopers these are stories that we're starting to see more and more <laughs> Like, when it comes to the Empire, when they go to other planets and have their allies that are villains, they're always aliens and things. But why is the Empire, like, when we're seeing, like, the major Empire people, why are they all human? I'm actually so, so glad that you asked that question because we are pretty far into the episode and we haven't really talked about who the antagonist of this movie is because, again, it's one of those things that I feel is really muddled in the story. The whole point of this movie and the war that takes place between this one and the next is that there is a group of systems in the United Galaxy, the Galactic Republic, who want to secede from that government. They feel that there is too much corruption. As we talked about during Phantom Menace, there's literally like just corporations with seats on government, that being what the Trade Federation is. And those guys who set up the blockade against Naboo in Phantom Menace, that's basically like Amazon having a seat in Congress. And a lot of systems were fed up with things like this and wanted to secede and a lot of the systems that were swayed to be members of this confederacy of independent systems were non-human planets because there is a systemic racism and prejudice against non-human beings throughout the galaxy and the fallout of this war and Palpatine pulling the strings of the separatists 
in the shadows and using these disenfranchised non-humans as scapegoats when he turns on the separatists after the war is over and he's seized power he uses that to further strengthen xenophobia against characters like that and that's specifically why you predominantly see human soldiers in the empire is this something george lucas always intended from the very beginning i don't know it's one of those things that i love that now there's an answer it is absolutely notable that none of those fucking people are human and it's one of the things that i wish had been a little bit clearer in the movies because then like why are you even trying to tell these strong messages about war if you're not really going for the big key points instead you're focusing on stuff like this kid who never got over the crush he had on his babysitter when he was in third grade and now he's in college and she's in grad school and she's like is this weird and yes yes padme it's weird i'm glad you said non-human characters because oh my god the droids just that they're way too much in this movie yeah and i know i keep making my younglings joke the scenes where he goes after his mom there's a lot to pick on there you know and those scenes where we see him back on tatooine it just feels like the droids are made to play an artificial role which kind of supports that theory that the films are actually a r2d2 story but i don't know i think altogether the Padme and Anakin R2-D2 and C-3PO stuff that goes from the murdering some children to the factory, it's all a little too much. Well, yes, Anakin has a nightmare about his mommy as an excuse to show Hayden Christensen shirtless. And then they go to Tatooine and despite being told to lay low, Padme rides through most icily in some sort of palanquin rickshaw thing. That was fucking ridiculous that she's riding... Anyway, so... Anakin finds out that some guy bought his mom and then married her, because that's romantic, I guess. And then it turns out that his mom got kidnapped, and that guy lost a leg, and he has a stepbrother who he barely ever talks to, but is going to dump a child on someday. And then boom, his mom is dead, and he yells about it in the same room where Luke Skywalker first saw a recording of his sister asking Obi-Wan Kenobi for help. And like, it's a lot. I even specifically wrote down the part where he screams, I will even learn how to stop people from dying. Obi-Wan is holding me back. He's jealous. And Padme's like, what is wrong with you? Like, it feels like I'm watching a scene from The Room. You're going to bring us all down. There's also something to be said for Shakespearean structure that the third act is meant to be the moment at which you then know the outcome no matter what. If the Phantom Menace is the rising action, the first half of this film is sort of like everything leading up to that climax, and then everything after this is the falling action. It's at the point at which he gets revenge for his mom that the falling action is clear. He's going to be evil, and there's kind of no coming back from it. But I don't know that I feel it's natural to the narrative so much as we know this is what's going to happen. I think that it's there in some ways, but it's so hammered on the nose by using Darth Vader's theme as he talks about how he's going to be the most powerful Jedi ever. And like, of course, we all 
already know he's going to be Darth Vader. And I think this film takes perhaps too much for granted that we know the story is going to work out a certain way. There's also something to be said for this film amping up the Emperor in a, not just this film, this trilogy amping up the Emperor in a way that kind of tamps down Vader. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I remember when we realized that Jonah did not in any way grow up with the same perception of Darth Vader that we had. We only ever knew the Star Wars franchise as Darth Vader is the badass, Palpatine is the shadowy guy that you only ever see once for about 20 minutes, whereas the prequels really make it that Darth Vader was absolutely nothing more than a puppet of this grander villain. And this movie is where we start to see that amp up a lot more. Not as much as I perhaps would like. He's given emergency powers by Jar Jar Banks, who should never have had that sort of authority. And then he's like, hey, I just happened to find this army in my back pocket. Let's use that, guys. I guess this is the point that we have to talk about Count Dukula, because that's the other thing he has in his other pocket. Like, Palpy has two pockets. In this one, I have an army. And in this one, I have the other army. That's the other side of this war. McClanky. Yeah, who else feels like Count Dooku showing up about two-thirds of the way through this movie is sort of random by the time we finally see him? They talk about him a few times throughout, but then we finally meet him. Maybe it's just the goddamn name Count Dooku that I'm reacting to. I don't know. Count Dookula! I completely agree with you, Kevin, that it's completely random, and it's something that I want to say about this film, in that that's the M.O. of a lot of this. This story has its characters have very little agency. No matter the choices that Anakin, Padme, and Obi-Wan make, this story was going to happen. It doesn't matter what they do, no matter if they find things by happenstance or on purpose or whatever, everything was going to still happen. And it really takes, I don't know, you out of the narrative that it never mattered. You took away the agency of the characters, and I think that's really, you know... And not just because it's a prequel that's taking place in the past, but because you have this character in the background who's pulling all of these strings and is the one who's pitting the characters together. So their agency is removed by Palpatine being the one manipulating everyone and no one having any idea. Even though you had the shadow of the Empire over everything in the original trilogy, they were chasing the rebels, not manipulating their every action the way Palpatine is doing in these movies to literally everyone. No one really has any agency at all. It just kind of, like, out of nowhere... Even after like half the movie, now we see Count Dooku is the villain and he's the person that we need to like hate in this movie. And I don't know, it like Kevin said, it just seemed like he came out of nowhere. And like Jonah mentioned at the beginning of this, there's so much of this movie that just doesn't seem like it all fits together, but they were just like, let's do this and let's do that. And maybe it has to do with the fact, like Kevin had mentioned in the previous episode, that this film wasn't even completely finished being written until a week before they started filming. And, you know, sometimes art comes together like that, but sometimes that's a detriment to the quality of the work. I don't think it helped either that so much of this sequence is juxtaposed with, as Nico alluded to earlier, the absolute extreme sci-fi vaudeville Abbott and Costello routine 
scene that C-3PO and R2-D2 are doing in this movie, their antics in this movie, I don't know if it's to make up for such little interaction in Phantom Menace or what, but like, it's so fucking extra. C-3PO is extra rude to this astromech droid that he just met, and like, he's like being thrown around and climbing on platforms, and R2-D2 suddenly has rocket legs. For all the stuff people are throwing out there about the sequel movies, I remember sitting there being like, what the fuck is happening with the droids right now? This was like a like a beep beep drunk version of who's on first for like two and a half hours. Just to bring it back a minute to them meeting Count Duco about two thirds of the way in at about the 40 minute mark going even a little bit earlier when Padme and Anakin are in the summer villa doing, you know, fuck all and nothing. What is going on in this movie? What happened? Nothing happens in this movie. There is so little action for an action movie that I yes. was like, oh, th- there's a, there's an actual plot and story supposed to be going on. But I have no idea because you constantly keep jumping back and forth between these two separate narratives that I feel like are five different narratives all trying to meld into one. I keep getting confused and like all of a sudden Yoda's coming in with the clone army and I'm like, what the fuck? Where did he come from? Yeah, how did Yoda get the clone army? Did Obi-Wan tell anybody about the clone? It's one of those things where it's just one line and you're expected to pay attention to literally every single second of this movie that you're watching. And I'm sorry, but I have ADD. And it's like Qui-Gon's name. Good luck. He sends them a message and Yoda says in one line, I'm going to go to Kamino and see what's going on. And there isn't really much connect between him saying that and then just showing up with the army. There's no sequence of us seeing Yoda going there and discovering them and meeting them. And the point that I made to Nico is I think part of that is because there would have been literally no human characters in that sequence. Clones maybe, but again, that's like a weird alien type thing of it's the same guy doing motion capture for all of the different forms of clones. Other than that, it would have been tall, thin, white, creepy CG alien talking to tiny little elfish green alien. It just would have been two CG creatures playing playing off of each other. I wonder if maybe either they said to themselves that that might be hard for an audience to identify with, or if that's part of why they themselves didn't even consider making that scene. They just skipped right over it. They show up. It's fine. We have the bizarre gladiator sequence. Now again, keep in mind, the round table that Obi-Wan Kenobi was spying on is the separatist council that is leading this charge of wanting to separate from the Galactic Republic. And you know, these guys are the shady ones that are leading a larger delegation of people who genuinely are hoping for a better life. But either way, like, these are people with clout who tie up two Jedi Knights and a in a fucking like amphitheater to get gladiator attacked by these weird alien creatures and that just like doesn't cause political strife okay like i feel like how is that not where the separatists get shut down from the beginning you know oh i like that point a lot i do feel like there's a lot of if people talked a little bit more thoroughly we would not have gotten the semi-awesome battle sequence here oh god i just remember dukula's dialogue from the goddamn end oh you mean the part where he says to yoda that clearly this test cannot be won by our skills with the force but with our skills with a lightsaber and then he fights Yoda. Christopher Lee didn't you already have a fucking BAFTA and like an Olivier and like pride? 
He did have pride. That's why that's why most of the sequence isn't even him. His face is just CG'd onto like a fencer and it's just the close up scenes where it's his face because he was 70 something at least. And he was like, no, no, thank you. I would like to get matching tattoos with all of the Jedi. What do you mean? I'm not allowed. So the thing I'm making fun of is Christopher Lee wanted to get tattoos with the fellowship when they were getting their tattoos in the Lord of the Rings cast. And they were like, I'm sorry, you can't come with us and he was like what for real and they were like i mean you're saruman you're the bad guy you can't get a tattoo with us and he was like no but i mean lol that's our characters and they were like i'm sorry but chris tattoos for the fellowship only and like he got really bitter and now he's dead with no tattoo oh but that means he could be buried in a jewish cemetery you think christopher lee was jewish are you gonna keep that in i don't know i thought this fight sequence was worse than phantom menace at least with darth maul it was you know cool a lot of the entire action sequence of the ending whether it's the gladiator sequence with padme anakin and obi-wan only or when all of the jedi show up it felt weird especially with all of the jedi i don't know if everybody was trained like like basic training choreography but they just looked really awkward there was a lot of awkward hand movements and i i, I don't understand And I feel like there was too much going on. It was too much that they were fighting these three giant alien beasts. And then when the Jedi come in, there's way too fucking many of them to keep track of. And then the clones come in and there's even more of them. And you've got these giant spaceships. And then you immediately zoom back down again to them just fighting Dooku, who's this old guy. And no one can fucking beat him. And then the movie's over. What? And his his penis looks like a lightsaber. His penis looks like a lightsaber. (laughs) Give me your penis. I want to do something funny okay (laughs) his lightsaber looks like a penis it does it's curved and i don't know what to do with that for you know pleasure to hit the right spot yeah and he's british so it's probably uncut there's some of us that know how to do things with curved ones I just, I actually do think he has a very cool lightsaber, to be really honest with you. I do think it's really cool looking. It's just like everybody starts to have special fucking lightsabers after a while. And it's just like, oh my God, some people have shitty lightsabers. It stops being that when everybody's got a special lightsaber, everybody doesn't have a special lightsaber anymore. Then there's just a few shitty ones. Something I thought was cool from the ending. Well, first I thought it was hilarious that Padme just fell right the fuck out of that speeder. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you fucking dummy. Hold on. (laughs) What the fuck? Get a fucking (laughs) seatbelt. Get your life together. Force this. But then, like, she immediately stands up and gives orders to a clone trooper that she's never met before, like a goddamn badass. And I find the moment where Anakin's like, no, go back down, my girlfriend. Like, just say go back down on my girlfriend. Yes. No. Yes. But like his childish reaction and that causing clearly like a dark side flare that Yoda feels based on his reaction. It's really interesting because the way that Obi-Wan schools him is what would Padme do? And I'm like, fuck yeah, Padme would do the same fucking thing. I'm sure that she would rescue you if she could, but if she was going after like the bad guy, she would go fucking do it. She'd liberate it like a monster separated from its mommy by poachers she just has to kill. There's something to be said for 
as much as Anakin was quote-unquote seduced by the dark side, he perhaps also made the wrong choices at times. I'm looking forward to breaching the Clone Wars TV show, seeing how they decided to go back and develop the character through that, and how that will inform my opinion and thoughts on Anakin Skywalker as we enter episode 3 and his ultimate turn to the dark side. So what else is there to say about this movie at the end of the day? All of a sudden, there's stormtroopers, and it turns out that they're all clones, and this is what the Clone War has always been, and it turns out that the Clone War is just the Galactic Republic saying, no, you people aren't allowed to govern yourselves, which, you know, when we're talking about a galactic government, kind of seems a little petty, and then we see Anakin and Padme get married, which how the fuck are they going to be able to keep that a secret and her wedding dress is really ugly? What's everyone's final thoughts as we entered the closing moments of this movie? I think she looks like a doily when she gets married and... It looks like a baby's baptism outfit. Yeah, she looks like an idiot. And I think he is not a sympathetic character leaving this film. You know, I'm walking away from this not excited, but having already watched the Gendy Clone Wars recently and some of the early Clone Wars, like I can erase my distaste for this movie thanks to the volume of other Anakin there is, but I just don't give a shit about most of this movie by the end. And you know, this final scene is one of those places where if they'd made one minor change, it really would have helped a lot of my negative feelings about the prequels when Dooku is talking to Darth Sidious at the end and Sheev is wearing his goddamn trademark cloak. If he had just pulled it back and we had seen that this is Palpatine, because something I keep pointing out is that narratively speaking, it is not completely evident that those two are the same character. It's leaps of logic that you can make a especially when you know where the character is going to end up in the films that chronologically come after this one. But we don't understand that he is the guy who is behind all of this. And this scene between him and his apprentice in private, in like the Newark of Coruscant, I guess, from the way <laughs> like it's these out in the boonies oil refineries. You know, if we had seen Sheev's face, I think that would have been such a cool moment to end this movie on, especially especially for audiences who still were new to the concept where they could have gone, oh, fuck, that's what's going on, and would have been a great place to leave off leading into episode three. Guys, what were your final impressions on the movie? What were the things you thought that it achieved and missed? Well, I think this movie achieved at making me bored and nothing happening. And I'm going to say a hot take right now. I actually think this movie is worse than Phantom Menace. Okay, I really see where you're coming from on that now. I'm I'm blinded by my love for the Django Obi-Wan sequence. I think that is the only good sequence and the one that I actively enjoyed. Everything else was just so meh. Didn't feel like anything to do with what I know Star Wars to be. For the last movie, Phantom Menace, Kevo said that he thought that Phantom Menace can be removed from the trilogy and just be a Star Wars story. If you cut out all of the clone parts, this, you can make two completely different movies. And I think that might have even 
serviced it better. And I think that's hugely because of the misfires on the Anakin and Padme story. You know, as you were saying that, I was like, you know, if you just cut straight from Phantom Menace to Revenge of the Sith and just give us like a few lines of dialogue covering the backstory of how Anakin and Padme met again. Yeah, a lot of their story from this really cuts out entirely because they spend so much more time enforcing and insisting the notion that this is an epic love story. They spend so much more time telling us that it is than making us believe it that they might as well just not show them falling in love at all. We might as well just cut to them already married and struggling and you know the drama of it because i don't feel them having fallen in love in like what is it a week that this movie plays out over and just like the last film this title has nothing to do with anything and that also made me upset less so i think even than the first film like i i I can't even talk about it again dylan (laughs) dylan please save me from talking about this title My thoughts are very similar to what everyone has been saying. A lot of this movie, I feel like, could have been cut. I feel like the most important part was Obi-Wan and the planet with the clones, giving us the backstory to the stormtroopers and some backstory to Jango, Boba Fett. I feel like those were the most important parts. Yes, we all know that there needed to be a few things here or there that would show us why Anakin turned to the dark side, but I almost feel like the parts with his mom could have been added to episode three and it still would have fit well together and you know what closer to his turn might have even made it a little more heart-wrenching and would have helped explain his sudden turn a little better too i agree as odd as this sounds to go back to the very first episode of this entire series of star wars one of the things that i love the most about star wars is a super zealous character it is a blue twi'lek that is a jedi her name is ayla sakura she makes her very first Star Wars appearance in this movie. She makes one millisecond appearance during Obi-Wan going to talk to Yoda about the missing planet. And then she makes an about five second appearance during the gladiator scene when the Jedi show up. And that was my favorite part of the movie. I saw her. I got excited for you. She's amazing. I was also very excited. Doesn't even have any lines in the, any of the movies that she's in. Well, speaking of things that barely have any lines, I am so excited that the next time the four of us meet is going to be to cover the Gendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars miniseries. I just got the joke you were making. That's great. Thank you. (laughs) I love Gendy so much. His work influenced my childhood on a trillion levels. Samurai Jack stands the test of time as one of the most expert pieces of animation ever produced. And I love this miniseries, the introduction of Ven the badassery of Mace Windu, and the style of animation is just gorgeous. And as Nico alluded to, there is very little dialogue when it comes to a Gendy Tartakovsky production, so I am very much excited to discuss what is going to be a lot, a lot of art and visual cues to tell these stories. Like, I'm actually pretty sure there's a blue bodybuilder Twi'lek Jedi who gets his own episode. No, I think it's the squid guy. Oh, you're right. It's a squid guy. Sorry, Dylan. Womp womp. 
Well, until we ride our wampas back here to talk about <laughs> some Clone Wars, Dylan, where can everybody find you getting McClunky? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that is called House of X, or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. And Jonah, where can everyone find you beating around the internets? If you would love to hear me and my lovely opinions on multitude of things, check me out on other episodes of HTML, such as my amazing coverage of Rap Battle, or on the Dark Phoenix Apocrypha episodes. You can also check me out elsewhere on Cage Club on X's for Podcast, where me, Nico, our buddy Kyle, Dylan, Kevo, Regina, all talk about the different X-Wing books on shows such as We Are Krakoa and 80s Mutant Mania. Or if you'd like to follow me online, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. Kevo, oh Kevo, my captain Kevo. We are like two thirds of the way through the prequel trilogy and somehow like four episodes at a 30 in. Yes. Yes, we are. It's been fun and exhausting talking to you about Jar Jar's Great Adventure this week. That was the joke working title for the film based on audience reactions to him in the first one. Well, until we join Jar Jar for his great adventure, other than KidRiotComics.com, where you can check out our super inclusive superhero comic we've been publishing for five years, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kevo Really, and you can find me sharing news about this show, X's for Podcast, Marvel, Star Wars, anything else we freaking feel like over on our Facebook page at Real Nico Kevo Action. Nico, where can the folks at home find you? All the places everybody said here, like hanging out over in the House of X with Dylan, or on our shows on this network, like X's for Podcast, all the backlog of this, and my Instagram at Nico Action. That's N I C. O-A-C-T-I-O-N and until next time lift up your kyber crystals may the force be with you and also with your spirit we lift them up to the force bye. guys you gotta say goodbye <laughs> <laughs> bye bye